0: Olympic and world champion diver, Laura Wilkinson, and this is the Pursuit of Gold podcast. Each week, we are unlocking the physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual tools that help athletes reach their biggest goals in sports. Today's guest is the 2016 Olympic gold medalist in shot put. Michelle Carter holds the American record in the event with a distance of 20.63 meters. And if you're metrically challenged like I am, that's 67 feet, 8 inches. She was inducted into the Texas Track and Field Hall of Fame in 2018. And in this episode, Michelle shares with us her dramatic gold medal victory in Rio. She talks about how she edged out the two-time defending Olympic champion to become the first United States woman to win shot put since it became an event at the 1948 Olympic Games. She tells us about her special relationship with her coach daddy, her journey from high school to college, then to the pro circuit. And she shares with us her passion for building confidence in young female athletes. One thing that will become obvious throughout our conversation is Michelle's unwavering mentality to make each day better than her last. If having a mindset like Michelle's is something that you're wanting to dive deeper into, I've created three easy ways for you to learn more about mental training. Just go visit laurawilkinson.com slash learn and you'll find an option that's right for you. There's a freebie that contains five smart strategies for confidence. There's a free five-day challenge to conquer your fear. And there's even a complete step-by-step program for the athlete that's ready to take their game to the next level. But before we get into the episode, please take a quick minute to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. It really does help us to continue to bring on these awe-inspiring guests like Michelle Carter. All right. I believe that there is gold in your future. So let's dive on into this episode. Today, I am so excited to welcome Michelle Carter to the Pursuit of Gold podcast. Michelle, thank you so much for being on with us today. Well, thanks for having me, Laura. Well, okay. I was just telling you, you we did that athlete panel for the University of Texas uh, this summer during all of the COVID stuff. And I just absolutely loved everything that you were saying. And pretty much from that moment, I just knew I had to have you on this podcast. So
1: yes, you're here. Well, yeah, that was it. That was actually really fun. I was happy to be a part of that um, a panel. It was really cool.
0: Now, let's kind of get started. Uh, you are obviously kind of a legend in shot put, but how did that actually start with you? I mean, I know your dad had a big influence there, but did you always grow up with that in mind or did you try a bunch of other things first?
1: Well, actually, I started playing sports. My first sport was actually soccer. And then because my parents said I had to do something and I went from soccer to basketball and I was in private school. So when I had to go to public school, we didn't know about the whole process and how that actually worked. So I kind of missed basketball that season, but I was in athletics. So the coaches came to me and asked me, like, hey, do you want to join the track team? And at first I was like, no, like, I don't want (laughs) to run. (laughs) And then they said, well, you don't have to run. You can throw the shot put. And I said, okay, cool. I go home, tell my dad. I bring him the permission slip. I say, hey, dad, they asked me to join the track team. Can you sign my permission slip? And he just gives me that look like, who asked you? I mean, which coach asked you? Um, Was there other coaches in the room when they asked you? Like, what exactly did she say? Now, which coach said this again? I'm like, oh, my gosh, dad. Like, can can I just play yes or no? And he said, well, you don't know what you're getting yourself into. But, you know, practice starts tomorrow. Because the funny thing is, I didn't know what my dad accomplished in track and field growing up because I grew up with him playing football because he was in the 1984 Olympic Games where he won silver and he was drafted into the NFL soon after that. And back in those days to be an Olympic athlete, you were considered amateur and you could not get paid. So once he signed the contract for the NFL, his track career ended. So I grew up with my dad playing football. I had no idea what he accomplished in track and field until after I started track and field.
0: What? So he had never never even told you about it? No.
1: Wow. (laughs) Wow. I just got this Olympic silver medal in the closet. No big deal. (laughs) Pretty much. But but you know, like growing up, there was only two things out of the Olympics. He had like his Olympic participation uh, certificate framed. And then there was like this silver plate that he had um, that had the Olympics on it. But I didn't think that it was actually his. Well, I knew the certificate was his. <laughs> his name was on it. But the plate was like, oh, it's decorations. <laughs> so, so were you just like, cool, that was in the Olympics? Like you never asked him about it? Well, no, like I guess it didn't really dawn on me what all he really accomplished until maybe I got to college. Because at the end of the day, he's my dad. That's how I see him. I don't see him as this great athlete because even when he played football, we weren't at every football. We were kids. We played with the other kids and eating hot dogs and popcorn in the stands. So people have an idea of how life goes when your parent is a professional athlete. My parents did a really good job to make it seem normal. So it was like dad went to work and he came home. So my dad was like one of the dads who was always at home after the game. And I my, my dad was always there. So I didn't see it any other way than like my dad goes to work like everybody else. dad.
0: I love that. That's so cool. Because for those listening that don't know, because Michelle, we know is awesome. We're going to dive into her story, but we will just, you know, let them know how awesome her dad is. Michael Carter was an Olympic silver medalist and NFL star. He was the only athlete to win an Olympic medal and a Super Bowl ring in the same year. And I think he won three Super Bowls, yes. right? Three Super Bowls overall, yes. Oh my goodness. That's so crazy. So you had the genes like that's that's amazing. But did you start
1: with shot put right away or... Because he was a I shot did. putter, right? Well, yeah, I started with shot put discus from the start. He told me that I had to do both and I didn't know any better. You know, I didn't know anything about track. and feel like that. I'm like, OK, I'm just going to do what my dad tells me to do. Right. And that's how it started.
0: Huh, good girl. Listen to your daddy. That's right? awesome. <laughs> I love it. So, I mean, did you excel pretty quickly, like right away? So a lot of people, yes.
1: It was a little rough for me in the beginning uh, when I went to my first Junior Olympics because I started in when I was in seventh grade. And so my dad, of course, put us in summer track because my sister was actually at that time a runner. And so I just remember going to J.O.'s and there was so many people at this meet and I was instantly so nervous. I'm like, why are all these people at this track meet? I don't understand. <laughs> like, why are y'all looking at me? Like, I don't know what's going on. And I finished like fourth or fifth or fifth or sixth, something like that. And I was like, oh my gosh, like I thought I was doing something, but apparently I have a lot of work to do.
0: <laughs> wow. So you did some JOs and then you started competing for the high school team too. And weren't you like four-time state champion?
1: Yeah. So I am, yeah, actually I have eight state titles, four in shot put, four in discus. I have the, oh, I had the Texas state record. For a long time. Yes, for a while. And as well as the Girls' National High School record in shot put for indoor and outdoor.
0: Wow. So, okay, I have to ask you, and especially as a high school athlete, too, I mean, maybe you were in sweet oblivion just doing your thing and it didn't dawn on you. But did you ever kind of carry expectations of like, well, now I've won and I've won a lot. Like, what if I lose? Like, did those thoughts ever even dawn on you or no?
1: I didn't look at it as if I had to always win. I just knew I had to do better than I did last time. And I feel like that right there doesn't really put the pressure on me to win because if I improved and someone beat me, I still won, right? So I never looked at it like, oh my God, I have to win all these meets. I just go out there and I try to throw the mark that we have set, like my dad and I have set. Cause what, what happens is my dad would just tell me, okay, last week you threw, let's say um, 40 feet two inches. So this week, I want you to throw 40 feet, three inches. If you can beat that mark, we're in a good spot. And that's how I kind of approached every meet. Uh, I did win a lot and most pretty much. I think I won all through high school. I don't think I lost in high school at all. Wow! But that was like the mentality that I had just to be better than I was the last time.
0: Uh, I love that because that's like tangible, you know, like we set these big goals. But when you bring it down into the moment, like that's such a tangible thing that you can try and do. I love that. So how was the transition? Because then you were undefeated in high school and you get this full scholarship to University of Texas. Welcome. And so there's like this whole kind of, I would assume a, a lot different lifestyle. I mean, it was your dad. He couldn't coach you anymore. Right. Like, how did that all play out?
1: See what had happened was. No, uh, so coming out of high school, I didn't know where I wanted to go. I used to want to go to UCLA, but then I changed my mind about that. And my first visit was to Tennessee. I was like sprung on Tennessee. I'm like, I'm going to Tennessee. I really like Tennessee too. And that right? was between Texas and Tennessee for me. Yes, that's one of my own that was my two choices. But at first it was just Tennessee. I'm like, I'm going to Tennessee. I absolutely loved it. And then um, Texas calls at the last minute, like, hey, you can come and visit us. I'm like, I am not going to Austin. Like, I have a chance to go to Tennessee to get away from my parents. <laughs> and you want me to go to Austin, Texas? Yeah, right. <laughs> so um, I came down at that time. Bell was the head coach. And uh, I was actually... Um, was I was sixteen. I don't even think I was um seventeen yet, because I graduated high school at seventeen. And so I couldn't do anything, right? So they were taking me to the movies, we were going <laughs> bowling, we had dinner at Belle's house, you know, all the nice little clean stuff. But I enjoyed it. I had a good time. And she said, Well, I know we don't have any throwers, we don't have a throws coach, we're a team of sprinters, but she said, In order for me to for us to win, we need you. And I know we can't offer you anybody better than what you already have is your dad. And so what she ended up doing was asking my dad to be a volunteer coach. No way. Yes. So my dad was a volunteer coach and he came down twice a month to kind of monitor and give, you know, give the coaches um, what to look for and what I did to work on. And that's how we kind of, that's how she bribed me. Really. That's how she bribed me to go to Texas because I mean you can't give me anything better than what I had right because was that was going that was going to be like the main deciding factor for me to go to college. It was going to be hard to pick a coach and um I could have went to Stanford because my godfather was a throws coach at that time, and then my dad went to SMU and at that time SMU was known for throwers and people just knew I was going there, but i'm like i'm not I'm not going to be that close to home. Like I was trying to get away. And then I didn't want to go to Stanford because he told me you automatically get a five-year scholarship. And I'm like, no, I only wanted to get give college four years and I'm out of here. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and, and so that's how she got me at the University of Texas. Wow.
0: So not only a full ride, but also Daddy Coach gets to come with you, huh? Yeah. Is it Coach yes. Daddy or Daddy Coach? It's name? Coach Daddy. Coach, Coach Daddy. Daddy. That is like the best nickname. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so how did that work for you? I mean, it sounds all good on paper, but how did that actually play out? Was it as smooth as it sounds?
1: Actually, it was. At least from my end, I didn't, if there were any challenges, I didn't know about it. Wow. Well, I mean, that's
0: a good thing. I, I, maybe that's a, on the coach's part. Maybe they kept you sheltered from stuff. Who knows? Um, that's, so was your college experience like, was it similar to high school? Was it vastly different? How was balancing, um, you know, college level courses with athletics and competitions and also trying to have your dad come down a couple of times a month? What was that balance like?
1: Looking back, it was a lot. Because number one, we're at the University of Texas where they expect, expect excellence from you in every area and trying to just meet those expectations it was hard sometimes but it was like pressure that i'm used to like i'm used to like having that pressure to perform or used to having that um, pressure to do what you need to do so i didn't think about it until people started asking me questions like did y'all get to do this did you get i'm like no we had track practice we have to do this we have to do that like so it wasn't like the normal um I would say college experience because we were held to very high expectations to be on the track team and we had to meet those expectations. So, one thing that I did when I was in college, I stayed in study hall all four years and I lived on campus for three years. One of the reasons why I did that because I knew if I go home, I'm not doing any of my homework or extra work. So, I just automatically stayed in um, tutoring. And everybody was like, Michelle, like, you're not a freshman anymore. I'm like, listen. I'm trying to graduate and get my degree and get out of here. I'm going to do what's going to work for me. And that's what I did. So I had to figure it out and make sure I was where I needed to be on time. I did fail one class at Texas, this one time. And I worked really hard after that because when you have a class of 150 students and it's chemistry, it was really hard to keep up when the teacher doesn't go over everything is going to be on the test and you really have to read a chemistry book and try to figure it out. That was hard. So it was like a learning curve there. But I figured it out because I didn't want to lose my scholarship. And I wanted to meet the expectations that I had for myself.
0: Uh, That's so such a mature decision for a young woman. Like that's that's awesome. I really value that. So were you like competing at U.S. Nationals at the same time? Like how was college versus like I know because you did the J.O. route and like how was U.S. Nationals? How did you balance that out? Were you doing well there as well?
1: Well, actually, yes, <laughs> it was crazy. My freshman year, I didn't do it. My freshman year was definitely a year of transition. I think I finished. I think I finished eighth at NCAA's. And first of all, we had NCAA's at the University of Texas. When I say the odds were stacked against us, any and everything that could went wrong went wrong. Oh gosh, it was the craziest experience. I've never seen a, a school suffer the way that we did on our own turf. It was just like, it was, everybody was out to get it. So, so give, give us some, give us some examples. Like what was going (laughs) wrong? So, okay. When you get ready for the relay, they, they give you certain materials that you can use to mark the marks for the runner. So they know when they need to start running and where they need to run to. And for some reason, our athletes were using tennis balls, but they changed the rule and said that they could no longer use tennis balls. But no one said anything to our athletes the whole time. So we're the only ones, and it's pouring down rain, number one. It's pouring down warm, hot Texas rain, and we're out there trying to compete. And then they take off, and then when we get down, when they finish the race, They see red flags go up all over the place to find out that we were disqualified because we had the wrong marker. And um, we were like, well, how can that happen? Like, how come no one said a word to us? This is our home field. And it was just so surreal how everything went down. when We should have dominated and we pretty much got eliminated out of every other event that we were in by some kind of form of disqualification that we've never seen before. It was just crazy. And it was on the newspaper front page the next day that Texas was disqualified in the four by four.
0: So, okay, you coming out of his undefeated high school season to that,
1: like, what was that like for you? hate to say it was almost kind of normal for me because when you are one of the best athletes or you're part of a good team or people really expect a lot from you you know you have to be mindful about every little thing because even in high school I faced situations where coaches would try to disqualify me from the meets saying that my uniform was different than everybody else's (laughs) so it was like I always kind of expect um something to go wrong and to be ready to kind of face that challenge. And it was the same thing. So when I got to college, I'm like, oh, wow, like it's no different. If people don't want you to win, they're going to try to take you out in any kind of way. So it wasn't so overwhelming. I just had to really get used to that. Now I'm not the only one who's good. Everybody's good.
0: Yeah, that's still quite an adjustment. (laughs) So, but it got, you guys did end up winning an NCAA championship. So that your senior year?
1: Yes. Actually, it was my junior year and we won NCAA with only seven women. And this, and that's unheard of. Normally they win with teams of 20, 15 women, but we came with what? seven. How and did you guys just win everything? Everything that we were in. Yes. Wow. Wow. <laughs> everything that we were in. It was crazy because um, it came down like to the four by four. All we had to do was finish. And we did that and we ended up running the four by four. And I just remember all the other teams, the team that was in second place and third place, they were all dressed up and nice and pretty. And then you see us on a podium and we all look broke down because we're tired (laughs) because everybody had two or three events to compete in. So they were, we were tired. We weren't our prettiest, but we won. And we had fought for that championship.
0: Man, how did you win individually? Yes, I did. That's awesome. How many times did you win individually? Was it just that one year?
1: Actually, yes. Uh, a lot of times I got second. I lost to um, seniors. It's like I'll beat them any other time, but then on that day, they will beat me.
0: Yeah, I can feel that. Oh, man. So when when was your because I know your first Olympics was in 2008. but Did you have a shot in
1: 2004? I did, and I chose not to go. OK, just didn't feel ready or what? No, was the I didn't feel ready. I didn't want my first Olympic trials or Olympic spirits to be horrible. And I did truly feel like I was not ready So I ended up going to World Juniors, which was awesome. And then I ended up like PRing, having a personal record by four feet at at, um, World Juniors that would have helped me make the finals at the Olympic Games. So I was kind of thinking, like, did I play myself? (laughs) Could I be a four-time Olympian now? But I think I needed that experience that was really solely on me to compete by myself. I didn't have a coach there that I was familiar with. I had to really dig down deep to a place that I've never really dug down deep before and compete on a, in a level that I haven't done before. And I was able to do it. And that year really proved to myself that I knew that I had what it takes to be successful.
0: Uh, that's so cool. So take me through your different Olympics because you are a three time Olympia and you went in 2008, 2012 and 2016. And they were all very different results. What were your experiences like?
1: Oh, man. In 2008, I was just nervous. I was nervous because, number one, it was like my first professional team. So I didn't know a lot of people on the team. And there were some people that I knew from college that made the team. But for the most part, I'm just kind of getting the feel of what Team USA on the pro level feels like. I remember getting to China and we're in the Olympic village and I'm thinking like, here are the world's greatest athletes. And then here's me. Like, I didn't (laughs) see myself as one of the world's greatest athletes, even though I was like, well, I kind of did earn my spot. I won the Olympic trials, but this is the Olympics. And I was just so in awe and just soaking everything in at that experience. Uh, So I finished 15th. Did you get
0: to walk in the opening ceremonies?
1: I didn't do opening because my event was too close to opening. Gotcha. And I didn't want to spend that energy on my feet. Yeah. For those people
0: who don't know, like when you go to opening ceremonies, I, I mean, you literally wait for hours beforehand and then you're standing up walking in this line forever to get into the stadium and then you're standing up for yeah. more hours in the stadium. So it is exhausting. So generally, like Michelle here, a lot of people who compete in those first couple of days after may not go just so they can rest and be really prepared. So a wise decision, wise decision. Um, so, okay, nervous, but 15th was like the performance. Okay. Or were you kind of like, eh, that was not what I thought I could do.
1: I think the, the performance was okay. I felt like it was consistent for the year. It wasn't like under my average or above my average. It's been what I threw all year. Yeah. <laughs> so I, it was like even keel. So how did that make you feel
0: like going for another four years? Like, how did you feel after that going toward
1: 2012? Well, actually, because how I I break it down in my head, I just take each year for what it is. So the year before and after the Olympics for track and field, we have world championships. So I knew that, okay, it was the Olympics, but I have world championships to kind of figure out some more stuff. That's kind of how I approached it. So I didn't really think about all the way to 2012, because I don't know if I even make that team, you know, nothing's guaranteed. So I just attached each year to be better than I was the year before. And that's how I pretty much approach everything. Like, can I be better than I was last time? And that's all I'm looking for. Just kind of improve and stack on top of each other. Like, can I get my technique better than it was last time? Can I get more stronger? Can I get even more conditioned? Can I do, what can I do to just make myself a little bit better and see what happens by the end of the year?
0: I love it. You're so good at like staying in the present and not getting too far ahead? Like, I'm sure you had goals in the back of your mind, but the way you just hone in on like year by year, you know, competition by competition. Like, I love the way that you do that. And you've done that, it sounds like from early on, like, was that something you just naturally did? Or did your dad kind of help you develop that mindset?
1: I think it's something I naturally did because I kind of want to think that, well, I know for sure for me, if I look at the big picture too long, I'm gonna get overwhelmed. It's too much. How can I break this down? Like, I know what the end goal is. Of course, my goal was to make the team in 2012, but there's so much time and so many things I can get done in between those years before. So if I focus on just getting better every year, then I'm going to treat 2012 just like all the other years. I just want to be better than I was in 2011. Because typically, the same women I see at World Championships are going to be the same women I see at the Olympic Games. I see these women. I see them all the time. I just competed against them two weeks before the Olympics at a regular competition. So I know who I'm throwing against. I know what to expect now. So I didn't want to put any extra pressure just because it was the Olympics. Even though it is the Olympics, I have the same shot put, the same ring. It's the same women I always see. And I just have to go out there and compete to the best of my ability.
0: Boom. And you could just mic drop right there. That was awesome. (laughs) Yes, exactly. I mean, that's, that's one of the best pieces of advice I got before my first Olympic games was like, go and soak in the atmosphere. Like the Olympics is crazy and it's different. Like enjoy that you're there, but when it's time to compete, it's the same people you've competed against. You're doing the same thing you've been practicing. Like the only difference is the atmosphere. Everything that you're doing is the same. And that, I love that you just hit that nail right on the head there. So how was 2012 different for you than than
1: 2008? 2012 was different because I knew what to expect at the Olympics. But what I want to kind of touch on something you mentioned is the atmosphere of the Olympics. When I tell you the atmosphere is ridiculous, <laughs> like not even just the atmosphere at the Olympics, but the buildup from you making the team until you get there, not just from yourself, but from your family, your friends, your fans, everybody. And then to the media. 2012. Yes. So 2012 was different because now we have this thing called social media that really wasn't as much as it was in 2008. So I realized that because everybody is so excited, everybody wants to touch me, talk to me, be a part of me, you know, have something to do with me. I had to cut a lot of people off during that time just to protect my energy because I couldn't be on all the time answering questions and listening to people want to, they feel like they're encouraging me. Yes, they are. But it almost kind of adds more to my plate of responsibility to perform because now people are really expected because they're invested in my story. And they're invested in my performance and how well I do. They're proud of what I've done. So I realized, like, okay, this is a lot. So I had pretty much just stayed off social media from the time I got to the Olympic Village until after I competed because I had to protect my energy. I couldn't have people just having some kind of access to me at that time because I was drained when I got there from all the media and all the stuff and the build up to get there. And I knew I needed to get that energy back.
0: Yeah. It's like an emotional drain and that like it drains you physically and mentally and in all the ways. I totally agree. That was really smart. Really smart. And I mean, it paid off. I mean, you did
1: really well there. Yes, I did. So, uh, well, it got so bad that one night, one of my High school friends had sent me a really nice letter, and all I could do was just cry. I don't know what was wrong with me that day. I'm like, Am I on my period? Am I period (laughs) about to start? I don't know. But I was just crying. And I was like, Okay, this is that's when I knew like I had to have like some kind of cutoff because I just couldn't take it because I was just too raw in that moment. But what was different? I I was actually diagnosed with Hashimoto's in 2010. So I knew that 2012 wasn't going to be easy. And I kind of just prepared myself just to live in that moment and just do the best that I could today, because I didn't know if I was going to wake up with 100% energy or was I going to have 40% energy that day. I didn't know. So I had to be very mindful about that. But I ended up competing. I originally finished sixth. Um, The very next day, I was notified that the woman who won tested positive. So I went from sixth place to fifth place. And then four years later, oh <laughs> I'm packing my bags to get to go to Rio. I get a, another phone call, noticing uh, notice, letting me know that I was now fourth in the 2012 Olympic Games because a girl tested positive in 2016. And they went back and retested all her samples starting in 2010 and found out that she had been dirty the entire time.
0: Oh my goodness.
1: So I went from sixth place to fourth place in 2012 Olympic Games.
0: Wow, that's so crazy. You know, we actually talked to Shante Lowe. Do you know Shante? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we talked to the high jumper. We talked to her on a, on a previous episode, and she was telling us the same thing on her way to Rio. She found out that she ended up meddling in the 2008 Olympics. Like, she moved up several yeah. places as well. Like, that's just so crazy. Like, I mean, d- did that even register for you? We were you like, okay, that's okay. I mean, what do you do with that information? You I know? mean,
1: well, It's almost like because when you're around these women so much, you kind of already know. So when it came, I wasn't surprised. I wasn't I ch- surprised about either one woman, women, because I'm like, oh, yeah, like, finally, like, OK, <laughs> cool. I will. Thank you. I'll take my fourth place. Like I'll, I always have this little running joke. Like if one person get caught slipping, I might have a medal in 2012 and I'm very patient. I'll wait. <laughs> <laughs> well,
0: how does OK, let's just dive into that a little bit, because like, I mean, track and field, like the drug deal is real.
1: And in, in how how do you deal with that? You just, I, I just feel like you just deal with it. It is what it is. I can't control what anybody else do. All I control is me. I am responsible for what I do with my body and what I put in my body. And so I take pride in making sure that I am in, within the boundaries of what I'm supposed to do. I, I pride myself in being the clean athlete. And I feel like what's done in the dark will come to light. So those who are cheating, I'll wait till you you get yourself caught. I don't have to tell it on you because the truth is going to come out eventually, one way or the other. I'll just be patient. So, I but my goal is always I want to I want to beat the dirtiest person on their best day with my clean self being ready on that day. Yes, you know. Like I yes. wanna, You think you're doing something because you're cheating, but I'm going to beat you while you're cheating. Mm-hmm.
0: I'm going to be that much better, right? Yes. <laughs> oh, I love it. Oh my gosh. I love you so much. This is awesome. So <laughs> so how is the professional circuit at this time? So you've now had two Olympics. You've been on the pro circuit for what, like five, four or five years?
1: Yes.
0: What is the pro circuit like? To Because I, I hear about it, but I've never, obviously I'm not a track athlete. I have not experienced that. What is the pro circuit like?
1: Man, I love the pro circuit because it's like I get to live in this different world that I don't have at home. Because here you go, you pack up your suitcase. So I pack up like one, a backpack, a small carry on, and one suitcase. And then I go to Europe for like two months, sometimes more. And you just go from country to country to country competing it's just like just this world we get to live in and we're with our groups and you get to see different people every weekend, but it's kind of like the same people and you just, in Europe, eating bread and pasta, <laughs> and the food is horrible, and everybody's losing weight, and we're bringing all our snacks, and then whoever's coming from the U.S., like you put in your order, like, can you bring me back some um, Oreos or something? You know, like <laughs> it's like this little mom should that be care package, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> but like it's it's just fun because it's like you almost don't have to focus on anything else but competing. Oh, that's cool. So. Do you get to sightsee it all? Or is it
0: like you're at camp to compete, you know, like <laughs> summer camp for competition?
1: <laughs> it's almost like summer camp for competition because you get to one country, you probably get there on a Tuesday, and then you'll be there on Wednesday, and then you compete Thursday, you fly out Friday, and then you're back at the next country. And then it's kind of that the same rotation. You're there two to three days prior to you compete. As soon as you're done competing, you're gone. And so I didn't get to do a lot of sightseeing with all my travels. It took me like six years to get to the Eiffel Tower, even though our hotel was down the street from the Eiffel Tower. (laughs) I look at the Eiffel Tower every night, but I just wanted to really conserve my energy. So I didn't want to walk down there and the line is long and, you know, what? I was like, all right, that's okay. But when I realized, like, I'm taking, I'm not taking advantage of these opportunities. Like, I didn't have to pay for this trip. They flew me out here. Like, I didn't try to take advantage. But the one trip I had made sure that I took advantage of the opportunity was Rome. The first time I went to Rome, I I was so tired because that flight is long. And um, I, I just went there. I got to my hotel, changed my clothes, and I went straight to the Coliseum. Like I said, I had to do that. I put a cap. I said I only could be there for two hours. Whatever I see in two hours is cool and I got to go. And I was so glad I did that. It was like perfect.
0: Oh, that's really cool. And I, and I can totally relate because it took me about six trips to China before I ever saw the Great Wall. So I,
1: same I here. understand. It, it's same here.
0: <laughs> oh, that's so cool. So you continue to go, I'm guessing, year by year after 2012 toward 2016. Like, did you know this was going to be it or... How how was, like, walking into 2016? Because this is your third Olympics now. You know, how how are you feeling? What were your emotions, your thought process, your mindset like going into that Games?
1: Going into 2016, I probably was the most calmest I've ever been in my whole life. Like, it was like nothing could really bother me at that moment because I knew what to expect. It's almost like I had been there, done that type of mentality. Let me just chill. But prior to that, um, after indoor season, I got hurt. I ended up having a herniated disc in my back. Oh. Um, three months before the Olympic trials. So it was a lot building up for me to go to the Olympics in, um, in 2016. But a lot of people didn't know what was going on. A lot of people had no idea I was hurt. But um, I worked and got myself into decent shape. And all I could think about was like, okay, I still have the goal to win gold, but. I had to do some things differently. I don't know what could happen, but all I know is I could just go out there and do my best and just try to just throw like I've been practicing. My practices have been going well. I was feeling really confident in how I was feeling and how my technique was looking. And I knew that I actually had a chance for sure to medal. And I knew the opportunity to win was right there.
0: Well, So how, what was different? Like, I mean, with a herniated back and you're like turning and the way you have to throw, like I can't even, I I just would imagine that would be excruciating pain and maybe even like stiffness. I don't know. Like how, how were you handling that?
1: Yes. Well, I have a very high pain tolerance, I realized. (laughs) Um, (laughs) By the time I go to the doctor, the doctor was like, you should have been here a long time ago. I'm like, well, it's just now starting to hurt really bad. And that's what my doctor had to tell my dad. It was like, she, her pain tolerance is not normal. So when you see her in any kind of pain, make her stop because she's not going to stop where she should stop. And so I had to be mindful of that because I didn't, I didn't know that was a thing, like, (laughs) but apparently it is. So, uh, but I really did push through. Um, I did have a shot of cortisone to kind of calm my back down so it wouldn't hurt so bad, but I really hit treatment and rehab. Like I was going to my chiropractor for decompression therapy four days a week. I was seeing my physical therapist three days a week. I was going to the weight room to do what I could do in the weight room three days a week and still trying to throw five days a week even though I may only be able to do limited things. Like I still try to stay on this schedule that was going to help my body be strong and not forget what I'm trying to do. But it was a process. when I tell you, I would leave the house at eight o'clock in the morning and wouldn't get back home to almost nine o'clock at night, trying to make sure I get everything done. It was like that for like three months until I went for training camp, like two weeks before the Olympic games. And I was tired. So when I got to training camp, all I did was sleep, eat and train literally because I was just tired.
0: <laughs> yeah. I Oh, my gosh. I can't even imagine. So when you're in Rio, like, are you still having to do a lot of the, the rehab and, and all of those other things?
1: At that point, I didn't have to do as much. I would do certain exercises just to make sure that we're keeping those muscles activated. And of course, being a part of one of the world's greatest team is Team USA. We have all the medical things that you ever need or want. So I had a great medical team who had been working and keeping up with what I was doing and my progress. So they were able to help me to make sure that my back was in good shape and that I was okay Um and well enough to compete. So
0: you have what,
1: six throws? Is that right? You get six throws? Well, you have your qualifying, which Shotput is the only event who have their qualifying and finals in the same day. So our qualifying were in 10 o'clock in the morning and you get three throws. So with that, there's a line we call the automatic standard. If you throw past that line, if you did it in one throw, you're done. You made it to the finals. And so you either get three attempts or you get that one attempt and then you go to the next round. So then you come back at 10 o'clock at night for the finals, which oh, is <laughs> crazy. Um, That's it's a so, long day. Oh my goodness. It's so horrible. But then you get a set of three throws. This is almost like our, um, our not a qualifying, but our semis. Mm-hmm. You get three throws, even though it's all called the finals, they still eliminate like three more women after those first three throws. And then um, the final eight get another three throws.
0: And so are, are you going still based on what you threw in like the semifinals or like you're continuing on from there? Or is it like a clean start with those last few throws?
1: No, it's a continuation.
0: Okay. And so walk me through this, especially going into like the last one or two throws, like kind of just walk me through the event and your mind and what was happening and where were you?
1: Yes. I just remember thinking like, okay, I'm here to compete. Like Michelle, this is what you do. This is what you prepare for. This is what you was born to do. Like, you know what you're doing. You know, you have to talk and hype yourself up and keep yourself calm because at the same time, it's like, whoa, I have a chance to win, but can I win? And then at the same time, it's like no, I know I could win because I'm ready. So you know, I'm having these conversations in my head to keep myself balanced. My first throw wasn't too bad, and I'm like, okay, we go- we could only go up from here. And I think by the time I threw my second throw, I was in second place. Well, and do you know this at the time? Yes, because um, after each throw, you get your ranking. Like, okay, where are you sitting? So you can't not know. You have to know. <laughs> yeah, you'll know. Okay. So I knew I was sitting in second place. And I'm like, okay, that's only throw number two. Like, we still have all these other throws. Like, anything can happen. It's the Olympics. And of course, <laughs> throw number three, I'm still in second place. I'm like, okay. And I'm trying to work on my technique. Like, there's some things I've been working on that isn't happening the way that I want it to happen yet. But I'm like, okay, Michelle, you got this. Like, just be patient. Let your legs work before your arms. And you can just hold back for a half a second. You got this. And so throw number 3 I'm still in second. Throw number 4 I'm still in second. And then I get to throw number 5, I'm like, "All right, Michelle, come on now. Come on. We got to get it together." It's like let's say like, hey, we run out of throws. And throw number 5 I'm still in second place. And I'm thinking like, "Dang, I'm about to get silver just like my daddy." Mm. <laughs> <laughs> but but I was like, "But that's okay. It's a medal." And I was almost about to settle for that. But then I was like, "But Michelle, you want to win." And so when uh This is literally what I did. I just remember praying and I was like, Listen, Jesus, you told me that I could win. I believed you because I am a Christian. I pray and I believe that He really told me, like, this is your year. Like, if you trust me, I got you. And I'm like, Lord, listen, this is it. I only have one more throw. If you said that I could win, you better show up right now because this is it. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, all right, Michelle, let's, let's, let's go. I remember stepping in the ring and, um, I get set up and I throw, and I knew in that moment that that was a better throw than all my throws, because that one thing I was waiting on in my technique of letting my lower body go before my upper body happened. And I felt like the energy go through the shot. And when you have a good throw, it feels effortless. Like I felt that. And I'm like, before I even see the shot put and where it lands, I'm turning around talking about yes, like, because that one thing I've been working on actually showed up for your girl. Uh, And so- I had to feel so good. It was good. But at that time, I'm like, well, I can still have a good throw and still be in second place. But at that point, I didn't care because what I had worked on showed up. And I just have to wait to see how far I throw. So I'm walking out the ring and I'm trying to play it all calm. Like I knew it was a good throw. And we're waiting, and I swear it feels like five minutes, and it probably was all of 30 seconds until my mark goes up. And then when my name goes up, a number one is next to my name. And then it has my distance of 20 meters, 0. 0.63. And then it has NR next to it that means national record. Wow. And in my head, I'm like, what? <laughs> <Huh?"> <laughs> but I have to play it cool. <laughs> because the girl who is in first place going into the finals get the last throw. So you you're in first place, but you haven't won yet. Yes. Okay. I'm in first place, and she's thrown farther than me. So I know she has the ability to beat me. The question is, like, can she meet the challenge? You know, that's like the thing. Like, can she? Is she today? Mm-hmm. So um, I just remember. Like, playing it cool, like, yeah, I'm supposed to do that. I I expected that to happen, right? (laughs) I didn't want to give her any energy to beat me. So she gets in the ring and she throws. And I can tell by her demeanor, she's not sure how that throw went. So we're all waiting. Again, feels like a long time, but probably really wasn't. And her (laughs) name goes up and there's a number two next to her name. And then when that happened, it's like everybody turned around and looked at me like, Michelle, you won. And I'm thinking to myself, I won? (laughs) And, And I just remember kept saying to myself, like, really? Like, really? Because all I could think about is like, Lord, really, is this how this plays out? Like, this is how you going to do me like this? <laughs> I have me wait till my last throw thinking that I don't know what's going to happen. And I get hurt and I have to fight. And then this is how you allow me to win. Like, thank you. Even though it was an idea, I knew there was a method to the madness. And I say that because I, 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 I had to go through some things so I can even appreciate that victory even more. Because if if it would have came easy to me, I'd probably be like, even though my name is the shot diva, like I'll be a true diva, like Mariah Carey diva. (laughs) Um, If I didn't have that struggle, I think I probably would be full of myself. But I really had to fight and have that faith that was going to be beyond me and realize that me winning in that moment wasn't just for me. Ah, That
0: is so beautiful. Yes. Keep going. Sorry. That's
1: okay. (laughs) Yeah. So that was like the biggest moment and the biggest thing that I realized. And then when I, um, so after that, so I don't have my medal ceremony right after. I have my medal ceremony the next evening. So you go through all the press and I'm going through all this press. I don't get back to my hotel room until three o'clock in the morning. And I had to be dressed and ready to go to the other side of Rio by six. But (laughs) I remember just reading the messages and comments from women all over the world about what it meant to them to see me win. And that's what made me realize like, oh, wow, like this was meant to be so much bigger than me. Like, yeah, I have the medal, but I just sparked like life into other people, letting them know that no matter what they're going through, no matter what they look like, if you're not the norm, if you're not in the popular event, like still go after what you know you can do and do not give up on yourself. And to get those messages, it just made me so grateful that I was able to go through that process to show other people that whatever you want to do is possible.
0: Mm. Okay. I'm like totally crying over here. (laughs)
1: Uh Oh, (laughs) very,
0: I I understand this totally. I had a very similar situation um, at my first Olympic Games. And so, yeah, I'm just totally crying because I I totally feel you 100%. And I feel like God shows up that way. Like he he allows us to be broken or have weakness so that he can show up and show that his strength is perfect through our weakness. And, And I love that because you, like, I mean, you just said, you're like, I know now why he did it that way. It was to humble me and to reach so many more people and change their lives. I mean, you probably change people's lives that you don't even know. And that's just... Uh, such a God thing. It's so cool. I love that. Was your dad with you there on the field
1: when it all happened? He was. My dad was there. Um, I remember, of course, I'm talking to him in between the throws. And I, I know on my fifth throw, he knew I could do better. But I think he was really happy knowing that I was going to walk away with the medal. And I just remember between the fifth and sixth throw. That I was like, I don't want to hear anything that he has to say at this moment. Because I'm like, I got it. Like, I know what I got to do. Like, I don't need you to coach me right now, <laughs> coach. Leave me alone. And I said this. So I was thinking to myself, like, this between me and God. Like, I don't even need you right now. But um, this to see my dad's face afterwards. And so he's, like, smiling at me. But he's do- he's smiling because he's trying not to cry. he was like I am not gonna cry on TV that was his thing I'm not gonna cry uh, on TV but he called me the next day and he was like when I got to my room I bawled he was like I just bawled because he said I knew you could do it and The crazy part is my dad has been telling me like, you know, you you're better than what you think you are. You know, you can do more than what you can do. And he's always seen me in that way. And he believed in me when I didn't quite believe in myself that I was able to accomplish those things. It took some time because I feel like your parents are supposed to say those things to you. And like, do I really believe you or are you just hyping me up because you're my dad? But he really saw something in me and pushed me to get that out of me and to see it all come together over all these years. And he was there to see it. My dad was just really proud and happy that he was able to um, share that experience with me.
0: Oh, Of course Oh my goodness What a cool family affair um, and I have to tell you I I laughed so hard When I read this um, Especially seeing Because I know You're really into makeup and, and all of that And I read this yeah. article Because of course I had to stalk you A little bit before Of this call right. And um, I read this line says After Michelle Carter Made history Friday night It momentarily appeared As if Carter was crying Instead it turned out That she was applying Her lip gloss <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> Is this <Yeah>. true? <laughs> it's true? It's true It was a little bit of both I had to like Bend down, gather myself because I felt myself getting ready to cry. And I'm like, oh no, I can't cry because my lashes might fall off. <laughs> But I was like, oh, I got to put the lipstick on because I don't want to take pictures and my lipstick isn't on. Right. And so I'm thinking about all these things, which you probably shouldn't be thinking about. But that's me. (laughs) You know, shot diva. I have to like pictures last forever. I have to be ready.
0: There you go. Oh, my gosh. I love it. That was so awesome. Um, Have you always been into makeup? That's just something you've always loved.
1: Yes. Actually, yes. Um, It's funny because my mom said when I was little, I would always kiss her on the lips. And my mom was like, oh, my baby just loves me so much. She always wants to kiss me. But then over time, she realized I was only kissing her to get the lipstick off her lips.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Classic. Oh, my goodness. Well, okay. So after 2016, after this epic win and all of this stuff, a herniated disc,
1: you kept going. I did. I did. So what's the story there? Well, um, I didn't see like 2016 being the end for me. I really want to win a world championship. I haven't yet. I've gotten third like twice at this point. But in 2017, I got hurt and ended up having to have surgery. This is another point where I learned that my pain threshold is too high Because by the time I got to World Championships, I really should have had surgery on my knee a long time before that. But I'm thinking to myself, like I didn't have time to stop because I still have like this energy coming from 2016. I'm like, if I could just make it to the end of this meet, like I'm okay. And by the grace of God, I got third. Like I really shouldn't have got third. It was raining. I was in pain. My whole leg was swollen. And I remember going to the trainers the day before the track meet, and I asked them, I'm like, is my leg Um, structurally sound for me to throw because if you tell me it's not I'm not competing because I don't want to make what's going on worse than what it is Mm -hmm. like tell me the truth don't lie to me (laughs) and and they looked at it They was like no you're structurally sound but you're going to be in a lot of pain and I was and um so I'm kind of I've been fighting back from that because that was my first surgery I had been competing for 20 years and never had surgery
0: wow that's impressive
1: Yes, it is. And so that was hard for me to kind of come back from. So I was really looking forward to like world championships. I actually did fairly decent um coming off the surgery and rehab. I made it to the finals, but you could just tell that I was just I wasn't in my same shape that I normally would be. I did well in the prelims. I you could tell I ran out of energy by the time I got to the finals. So it's like, it let me know that I still have it. I still have to kind of work out some kinks, get into some better shape, get some more strength underneath me. But I know I could still do better. And I think that what pushes me, like, I don't think that was the best I could ever do. Even though I won, I know I can throw further than what I have. So are you
0: still competing now? Yes, I'm still competing now. So how, well, how has COVID like paused? I mean, obviously this is not the year we expected with the postponement of the Olympics and everything. Like how, how have you been handling all of that?
1: I actually kind of enjoyed it. <laughs> I have to I have to say that because for two reasons, I don't get to spend as much time at home ever. I'm always gone because if it's not track season, soon after track season, I'm doing appearances and I'm speaking. So I'm always doing something. So this gave me some time that I normally wouldn't have just to sit at home and enjoy my husband because we've been married for a year now. And Aww. I get to spend this time with him and I have de- tried to decorate my house a little bit. Finally got, going through so I get to do things I don't get to do. So I've enjoyed it. Um, just because I don't have a choice to, in this moment, I can look at all the things I don't have and what I can't do, but then I'm looking at it at a way to appreciate the things I normally wouldn't get to do. Like I go to my parents' house, um, Every week, actually, what we ended up doing was I was practicing at my parents' house. So every other day, I'm at my parents' house in the evening time. My mom is cooking dinner. I'm throwing in the backyard like I was when we first started. <laughs> and so it's like it's, I get to have this family time that I normally don't get to have. So I'm taking it for what it is and making the best of the situation that I have.
0: I love it. You, you just always know how to wrap your mind around that. And congratulations on your new marriage. That is so Thank awesome you. Happy for you. Well, tell me, you have a couple of other things going on. You have the You Throw, you Throw Girl and One Golden Shot. Like Tell us a little bit about those.
1: So um, You Throw Girl is called, well, actually, it's You Throw Girl Sports Confidence Camp. It's a sports camp that I founded for young female athletes to help build, their, build confidence in who they are on and off the field. What made me think about this is I used to get a lot of comments from parents who girls weren't really confident in who they were and their abilities. And parents will always ask me, like, well, how are you so confident? Why are you so confident? Like, how do you do this? And how can I get my daughter to think that, too? And so that what kind of made me started thinking about the camp because I knew there was a need for this, and I want young girls to feel confident in who they are. Because nine times out of ten, when you're an athlete, you kind of stick out like a sore thumb. Mm-hmm. You have more muscles than the average person. Sometimes you're bigger than the average person. You're taller. You know, there's all these different things, and I wanted to have like a safe space for them that they can be around people who have dreams and goals like they are, like they do, and that they could actually touch real professional and Olympians that they could talk to us one-on-one because sometimes I feel like as professionals, people feel like we're untouchable. They don't get the chance to actually talk to us and to touch us. So with Youth Throw Girl, I wanted to create a camp that's ran by us. Um, I want professional athletes to work with these girls so they can see that we're just like them. Like I was once in your shoes and you can be me and better.
0: I love that so much. Is it all track and field girls or other sports too?
1: Well, I get, I get, I, it's open to all sports, oh, cool. um, but I get majority track and field because that's what I do. So what I do, we have our workout sessions and then we have what I call um, our confidence workshop. And so that's where I go through different things. We talk about goal setting, vision boards. We talk about taking care of our bodies. This past year, I had an adolescent OBGYN come and talk to the girls about, you know, the change, your poop, the poop, not, well, not the change, not that change, but- <laughs> and about the changes your body goes through as you're growing and the girls who really they enjoyed that because they were able to really learn about themselves and feel more confident that and about being a woman like that's what I want them because I feel like once you're confident in who you are outside of your skill add your skill on top of your confidence just in who you are like you're become so powerful
0: I love that I feel like I need to go to the camp but it's it's uh for young girls right is it what what ages?
1: I do it by grade. So I do sixth grade through 12th grade because um, my high school, their junior high starts at sixth grade. So I didn't want the sixth graders to be left out. (laughs) Perfect. I get that. Well, after I retire and I grow the camp, I'm going to need someone in other sports so you can come on and join a board and be a part of the camp. Yes.
0: Awesome. See, I knew I could wiggle my way in there somehow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that is awesome. And where, where can people learn more about that? Because that is just such an awesome resource for girls and, and sports. I love this. So wh- where can they find out more information?
1: Yes. You go to uh, youthrowgirl.com.
0: Okay. There you go. And what about One Golden Shot? That's your nonprofit.
1: Yes. So my nonprofit, uh, One Golden Shot, is we have three programs. We have our Youth Throw Girls Sports Confidence Camp program, I mean scholarship program, where we actually raise funds to get girls to the camp. So pay for their uh, tuition for the camp and that they are able to go there and it's not a cost to them. And then our second program is called Fuel Up, where uh, we provide meals and snacks for teens in the Dallas-Fort Worth area because I realized that kids are going to these track meets and they're there all day and they don't have all the food they need to do their best. They're hungry, they're thirsty. And I, you know, I can't stand to see a hungry kid. <laughs> <laughs> so I really want uh, wanted to do something for them that's going to actually really add to their experience as an athlete to help them perform at their best.
0: That's really unique. I, I love the way you think outside the box on these. This is
1: great. Uh, thank you. Thank you. And then my third program is called I'm Supported. And with this program, I wanted to help provide sports bras for young female athletes. I know for me, I am blessed up top. Thank you. (laughs) And um, that's uncomfortable when you don't have the proper gear on and you're out there trying to run and compete and move around and you're trying to hold them down. You're not you're trying to get them to not move. Like that's a lot. And uh, you see the girls' confidence go down when they're worried about what they look like and what's going on in their bodies. So I really wanted to start this program to help find them bras um, that they could actually compete in. And eventually I do want it to be just bras, like regular bras and sports bras, because I did um, an event with a prom event with Dallas where they were giving away free prom dresses to girls in the city. And the girls didn't have bras. And if they had bras, they were really worn out bras and pieced together with safety pins and that just kind of touched me because I my, my parents took care of me I had the proper gear but I didn't realize how many girls don't and I wanted to create a program to help that
0: I, I love this you are so passionate about uh, young girls and helping young girls I, I just I love your heart where where can we find you online to like cheer you on and to support all your organizations and to be part of that
1: yes shotdiva.com shotdiva.com yeah be better than
0: that that's her handle on Instagram too, right Yes it is That's awesome and you guys definitely have to follow that she's always got like little makeup things going on there she is like she is the diva I love it it's so fun because yeah. I am totally not a makeup girl so I love watching people that love it because yeah. it's just so cool to me I don't know because I've never had that gift I'm always in the water so
1: right. makeup doesn't
0: <laughs> makeup doesn't hold on real well That's true <laughs> That's awesome. Well Michelle, thank you so much for taking time and, and just sharing your story and your heart with us um, you are an absolute doll.
1: Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. This is awesome. Thank you so much for tuning in
0: today. And please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review our show. This allows us to keep bringing on amazing guests, and it also helps other athletes to find this show. Make sure to check out the show notes to follow us on social media and learn more about our awesome guest. To hear all of our amazing episodes, head on over to thepursuitofgold.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. The Pursuit of Gold is proud to be a Podigy production. That's all for now. Make sure to tune back in next week.